Well, we've made it. The last of our series. Uh, so we're going to con- be concluding all the, the titles of Christ. Uh, not all of them. There's quite a few more uh, that we could have gone through. Um, this time of year is kind of interesting uh, time of year. In that, uh, well, right around this year it was uh, October. It was uh, Halloween. And we all bemoaned the uh, how early... And it seems earlier and earlier that they, they start the Christmas songs on, on the radio. Uh, and we, we, we go through the whole season, it's like, oh my goodness, they start, the, they start these earlier and earlier. And then, but however, no matter, uh, no matter when they start them, it's the day after. It's boom, it's done, it's over. It's back to, back to programming as it used to, you know, got to get back to normal. Uh, no, no songs after Christmas, no Christmas carols. Um, and, and it kind of seems disappointing, like, uh, what happened? You know, uh, the, tis the season, and then Georgia, and then, then boom, back in the box immediately, right? Uh, and uh, we're kind of disappointed. There's a, a little bit of a disappointment, a little bit of a letdown. Um, you know, we, we build up uh, for this, this moment, and, and uh, all the preparation, maybe less preparation than there used to be, thanks to uh, Amazon Prime, but... Uh, but we, we build up with all this, this preparation for the big moment, and then and the, the, the paper's off, and the, everything's around the, the living room, and it's over. And the kids have some entertainment for a little bit, and then they're bored. And it seems kind of anticlimactic. What happened? Um, well, I'll tell you what happened. Um, let's see if I, I got this here. Um, this is the end of our, our year. This is what happened. I lived in Troy, New York, uh, not at this point in time. This is 1823. Changed our Christmas season. Doesn't it seem like there should be a season? We always say, Jesus is the reason for a season. There was a poem published um, in, in the Troy Sentinel in, uh, December 23rd, on December 23rd of 1823. That changed our Christmas season forever. That, that kind of marked uh, how everything builds up to one moment. Um, how many of you, not everybody does this, uh, I, I grew up I didn't, and we never did this in our house, how, how many people open up uh, the, the, their stockings the night before? Is, it, is that a tradition among anybody? So, okay. We have a couple. A couple people do that. That used to be, now that's a Christmas Eve thing, some people just can't wait so they have to have a little bit. Right? Uh, that actually used to be a, a tradition uh, that kind of opened up the Christmas season. Um, and it didn't used to be on, uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, Twas the night before Christmas changed that, uh, kind of moved it uh, because it was such a popular poem. Anybody know when Christmas stockings used to be open? <coughs> the 6th. And so, so the de- December 6th kind of opened up and that's St. Nicholas Day. And it kind of opened up Christmas season. So there was this, it wasn't an immediate gratification on Christmas morning. There was this kind of this feeling of this long, drawn-out season. So it wasn't all the build-up for one moment. And a lot of times we, we have these build-ups for, for a moment. And, and that moment can never reach your expectations. Right? And that's uh, this kind of... Uh, this message is sort of like that. It's a little bittersweet in that, that, that we, we 
we've come a long way uh, through, through these texts. It's kind of uh, a little sad to kind of put it back in the box a little bit. Uh, but I've, I've, I really enjoyed preparing these messages. I've got a lot of, out of them. I hope, I hope you have uh, gotten a lot about learning about Christ and, and learning how to be closer to Christ through this year. We're going to uh, open with our, our text here in Revelation chapter 3. What an appropriate place. We begin our year at the beginning in the book of Revelation. We're going to end our year in the end properly at the book of Revelation. He says in Revelation 3.14, he says, Now to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write this, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And so the text, of course, as we know, the, the seven churches of Asia, and he's giving these messages. John is writing to these different churches um, in what is now Turkey. And, and to this group, he writes about them being lukewarm, and we're not really going to go into that. Uh, but just to say that, that Jesus, or, uh, through John, this is actually Jesus uh, commanding John to write these words. Uh, and, and he addresses himself to each of these churches by a different uh, title, by a different name that, that he wants them to know him as, or a different description. And here he, he calls himself the Amen. But he's, he's describing some things here, a, a title that contrasts with their mediocrity. He says, you are lukewarm. Now, we don't want to focus on the shortcomings of the church of Laodicea. But I do want to, as, as we look at this and we get into the title, I want to clear up one thing that you read this and you go, wait a minute. Uh, it says he's the beginning of God's creation and there are churches that, that teach that Jesus was created and then the rest of everything was created and that's not the, the, the concept that, that Jesus is trying to get across here. When John says, when John writes the beginning of God's creation, the word beginning is more like the, the word origin. He is the origin of all of creation. All, all things come from him. And that's what uh, the book of John starts out as. Uh, and, and so it's a similar thing that John has written elsewhere in his gospel. This whole series, we began talking about God using Christ to create everything in nature, being the origin of everything. And then again, that's where we are kind of concluding at. But we're not going to really dwell on that aspect of it. What does an amen do? He calls himself the amen. What does an amen do? Well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, maybe maybe that's not the right way to, to say it. We do a lot of things, you know, we do a lot of things that we, we don't understand why, right? You have no idea why you put stuff in socks and hang them over a mantle. I mean, why do we do that? That's, I mean, at least they're decorative now. I mean, that wasn't always the case. People used to get out their nasty socks and put stuff in them before we had nice, you know, before Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Why do we put stuff in socks? Well, that goes that's a tradition that allegedly some guy uh, threw some things through a window. He was a really good shot, but, and, and, and got these pieces of gold into somebody's uh, in, in this poor person's stockings for their kids or whatever. Now, uh, you know, it's a nice story. Probably he broke in and did this for them, or either that or the dad did it and 
blamed it on some passerby. I don't know. But, but for years we put stuff in stock because we have no idea why. We do stuff, we have no idea why. And yet here, how many times, I mean, every day we close our prayers with a, Amen. If someone did it, we wouldn't know to open our eyes. We'd just all be sitting here. No one said amen. We'd just be sitting here stuff. That's what it does. It just tells us it's like it's like a the end. That's what it means. It's like a holy the end. Yeah, the end. I want all these things, the end. Amen. What does it do? What is it there for? We hold to it. It's it you've gotta say it. We don't know why, but you've gotta say it. Well, really, an amen, it, it's not so much what it does as what it is, is, is more important, I think. And he gives us a clue. First of all, it is true. And the, the word amen really has two concepts or two meanings, and he gives both of them in this verse. In our text, he says the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So we're going to kind of handle the word true first. He is... True. I'm getting everything out of Christmas that I can, but first, Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty. It says, "The promises of God find their yes in Him." Kind of a weird way to to say that the, that God's promises find yes, their yesness is in Christ, and that is why through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. We say it's true. We believe that these things are true because of Christ. That's, that's the, the yes in anything God has ever said is through Christ. How many of you have had this look? You ever had that look? Now, for those in here who still might believe in Antisay Osclay, I won't... Uh, I won't, I, I won't go into that too much. I had this look once. I grew up not believing in that. So, so I had this look a different time. It was the time I opened my first chocolate Santa. You ever have that look? And I, I had this look of rapture that I had this like 20 pounds. Kids don't really get the concept of weight. And I opened my first chocolate Santa and took a bite out of it. And I was like, what a lie. It was hollow. <laughs> what a lie. Right? Just, and we have that look. But in Christ, he says, that Christ is truth. There's no disappointment in Christ. He's true. He's, he's genuine. You're not going to open up Christ and get, get this lie that you, you thought you were getting something unless, unless somebody else has lied to you about Christ. But in Christ, there's, there's only truth. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. What an incredible statement. When we build up our ideas of something, we can, we can feel betrayed by that. But when we pray, we, we conclude a prayer with, with Amen. What we're affirming is that the things that I've said are true. I'm standing before God. That's what the word means. It means true. This is true. These are my, my genuine feelings 
as I talk to God. Prayer is an openness with God. God has been open with me and He asks that I be open with Him. It's kind of like um, signing a legal document. Right? You sign a legal document and at the bottom it says, I affirm that all the details of this blah, 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 are true to the best of my knowledge. Right? I have to sign those things. That's kind of what amen means when I pray. Christ is the amen. Christ's existence is genuine. Just Him existing is saying, I, I am real. To the best of my existence, I am real. To us. And that's the nature of the relationship that we have with Him. So prayer rests on the premise of truth. Because the one who hears is true. There has to be that two-way sincerity uh, between us and our Creator. Well, our text says that, that the word Amen means something else. It means not just true, uh, but it also means faithful. We're gone. There we go. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, pretty simple. Christ is... The same yesterday, today, and forever. And we, we get back to that eternal nature of Christ. But He is faithful. Let's not ignore in this in our original text it says He is the He is the Amen, He is the faithful and true witness. We'll look at that concept of a witness as we look at faithfulness and, and, and truth. Uh, you know, uh, a faithful witness is one that is reliable. Uh, so, so if a lawyer is going, whether it be a prosecutor or a defense lawyer or whatever, he's going to put a witness on a stand. Now they go through everything and they go through, make sure, and they go through the story and make sure that we have, because he's going to ask the questions to pull out the story from his witness. He doesn't want any surprises. A lawyer does not want any surprises on the stage. Wait, that's not what we... Because that blows the, the case apart. We don't want that. So he has to be reliable. He has to know that when he puts him on the stand, what that lawyer wants to prove is going to come out. Christ is a faithful witness. He's a reliable witness. Well, that means a couple of things. Most of it is summed up in, in, uh, in this here. That he's provable. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. What does this have to do with being provable? Well, when a lawyer puts a witness on a stand... And he's, he's bringing out this case. The statements that he's making, he wants to confirm the other aspects of, of, every, of this whole case. It's not just, yeah, it's my word against his word or whatever. But, but it has to prove, be proven or provable to be actual. At least enough to convince a jury. 
Those things have to be confirmable by other evidence. And so when, when uh, the inability to do that will undermine the case. If someone can bring out evidence that undermines that, that person's testimony, then what good is the testimony? This is why most defendants don't get put on the stand. Because they're usually guilty. And usually, there's gonna, evidence is going to come out that proves everything they say wrong. So just be quiet. Let everybody else do the work. But Christ. But Christ is provable. And that's kind of the concept here. The faithfulness of Christ. The reliability of Christ. That... that when he says, I am the Amen, when I am true, nothing is going to come along and prove me wrong. The lifestyle I ask you to live is going to be confirmable in, in its results. It's going to yield the results that show it is truthfulness. Nothing is going to come along and show that this was all a lie. You believed in a myth. It's going to be evidenced by the fact that it works. And so in the long run, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's going to work. You ever work on a project and you start putting stuff together and you're like, I don't really know how this is going to come together. This, does, this is not making sense. This doesn't look, just follow the directions. Okay, follow the direction. Whoa, it worked. I, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see how that was going to... The people who made it know how it goes together. And, and that's with God. It's the same thing. God says... It might not look like it's going to work. It's going to work. Just trust it. Just follow the directions and it's going to come together. God says Christ is the Amen. He's true. He's guaranteed this product is going to work. There's no evidence. There's no, there's no thing that you're going to discover that's going to say, Oh my goodness, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been doing this for 25 years and it just it didn't pan out. Christ is the Amen. He is the, the evidence of everything that is true and genuine in this world. So now that we know about the Amen, now that we know what that concept means, now, would, now that we know what an Amen does, let's know the Amen. Kind of a weird statement, I know. What does it mean to know the Amen? Well, it means to true yourself. Again, another weird statement. Maybe you've not ever heard the word true used as a verb. And it's actually a verb. The word true is used typically in construction, a bicycle repairman, will true a tire. Anybody ever try to tour true a tire? I did it. I tried it. I'm not so good at it. Uh, I, I know a guy, he built an old-fashioned, one of those, the ones with a big wheel in the front. He actually built one from scratch. He, thought, he said that was really hard to even get in. He had a video of him riding it up the street, and he's kind of doing this the whole way up the road. It's hard. Truing a tire is hard. You just get this one off a little bit and it pulls this. And, oh, man. And it's 
Oh, that's a lot of spokes. That's the concept of truing. That's what the word true means. Or, or to true a frame. Well, you've got to get it just, just right. I've put in quite a few doors and windows in my house, and I can tell you that none of them are true. <laughs> this door kind of... Close enough, slap some trim on it. Truing is hard work. Shim a little here and get this and Christ is the Amen and He asks us to true ourselves. To bring into a correct shape. Romans chapter twelve, verse one and two. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may prove that which is the will of God, what is perfect and acceptable and good. God challenges us to test the accuracy and so proving that the things he said is true. I'm the amen. Test me. Right? Truth is a statement. Truth has no fear of inspection. God is not afraid to be proven. He's not afraid of an examination. The practice of biblical doctrine demonstrates its credibility by leaving here and putting into practice the words that we've heard this morning, whether they be in a class, whatever class you were in this morning, whether it be the sermon, whether, whether you were affected by, by something Guy said, whatever it is, by testing these words, by, by living them, you demonstrate their accuracy. So you have to true yourself to those words. In other words, in order to benefit from these words, and in order to, to have the relationship with the Amen, you have to let yourself be affected by it. You have to be aligned with it. So true yourself. That's the first of, of two things that we're going to talk about. And be consistent. We talk about faithfulness. This is consistency is the essence of faithfulness. Now, and when I say things work, we should be aware of a couple things. First of all, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He says, Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. This is still to yet another church that he was writing to in Revelation. He says, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested uh, for ten days. I don't think those were literal ten days. I don't know if that meant ten years. I don't know that John does that quite a bit. You will have tribulation. Be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. It is not all unicorns and rainbows. When he says there's when that, that it's going to work, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work immediately. You might have to wait some years. 
for that puzzle to come together and see, oh, now I get it. But it will be true. That testing might take some time. So God asks consistency and reliability. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. I'll just read verse 11 here. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's not the picture you have of the Amen. I want the nice picture of Jesus. The picture of Jesus as the Amen, one of those pictures is making war. He connects those two things. What do you mean, making war? Well, truth has an unpleasant side. I think all of us growing up realized that at some point in time. I remember... um, not exactly, maybe the, the best illustration. I remember uh, getting my mouth washed out with soap. Uh, I was frequently uh, babysat by the preacher, uh, preacher's wife, and uh, I was testing out some words that I had learned at school. So, uh, so she proceeded to clean my mouth. Well, I said, well, that wasn't so bad. I said that out loud. She said, okay. She said, open your mouth again. And she went, yeah, and made me bite. She said, now why don't you hold that for a while and see how that it was. I can still, in my mind, remember the bar it was one of those like translucent orange dial bars. I won't wash my hands with those things. I have a vivid memory of that soap. Wow. That stuff will clean. And God's, there's an unpleasant side to truth and, and, and being genuine and sincere. All that's, There's a nasty side of that. It's not all pleasant. Christ says, I am the Amen and I am come to make war. Because the concept of truth means there's a lack of truth. And God says, I have to fight that. It's in my nature. He has to make war. And sometimes in his making war, there's collateral damage. It's true. Do you ever have dismay about things that are happening in the world around you? Yeah, every day. You can't read the news without having some dismay over the things that are happening. Understand that everything that you don't like that you read is because of lies. That's really all it is. And there's this contest between lies and the truth, and it's been going on since the garden. It has been a fight between Satan and God says, no. And unfortunately, when God says no and God has to fight it, sometimes people suffer. Like Adam and Eve. For several hundred years, 
we've been in a particular fight over some truth and lies. And we get caught in the middle of it. For a few hundred years, going back to the 1700s, <coughs> all of society has been infected with this virus that says we came from monkeys. And that's what we're in the middle of. So as a result, humans will act like animals. And that's what's happening. That's what our society is in the midst of. We act like animals because we've been told that we don't come from anything higher. What do you expect? And so the result is a disorder and the turmoil of people who think that they are the best thing yet. And that there is no authority above them. So whatever I want to do, whatever feels good, do it. Because who is to tell me? I am the highest thing. Okay? When you start to look at the, the, the battle that's going, it all falls into place. It's all recognizable. And you can look at anything happening and understand that it comes from a lie somewhere. In some way, someone has denied the existence of God or the genuine God, has exchanged the truth for a lie, as, as Paul wrote in Romans. And the result is what we get. This is the result. However, I do not want you to be depressed about that. Because all viruses run their course. It's true. Where we're at right now, in society, a virus is running as its course. Now, it doesn't do that without some damage to the host. That's true. So we're, we're affected by that. But I want you to know, it's running its course, and truth is going to win. It always does. Because Christ says, I am the amen. I'll be the end of this thing. I am the amen. I will have the last word. Right? Amen is the last word. And Christ says, I will have the last word. I will be the amen. Falsehood is now being exposed everywhere. For what it is. Now it's affecting your education. It's affecting your politics. You don't like politics. Why? Because of lies. <laughs> It's affecting everything. It's affecting your entertainment. It's affecting every aspect of society because it's just running its course throughout everything. That's what viruses do. But Christ is a man of war. He's the amen. He's got the final word. And how awesome it is to know that we can have a connection to the one that has the final word. This is not a time to be depressed. <laughs> but you have to be faithful to get the reward. Christ is true and He's faithful. And so He asks the same. He asks for sincerity and He asks for some dependability. That's the nature of the relationship. The darkness around us is just a fever. And there's a cure coming.
but you have to have that consistency to get through it. Yeah, you ever have a, that just the awful feeling? It's like I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get to tomorrow. I've got a migraine on migraine, and when it breaks, it's almost worth having the headache just to feel the relief. That is such a feeling of relief when it breaks. It is going to break. Christ is going to have the last word. And when it does, it's going to clear up. And it is going to be so incredible. We are not going to worry. We're not going to read news and go, man, what another awful day. This thing happened in this school and this and this and this. and this. We are not going to read that. It is going to clear up. But you've just got to stick with it. Otherwise, you're going to have you're going to be collateral damage. I'm begging you to stay with it. We're going to close with a question. First, a verse, though, because I want to sum up kind of our year, just briefly. Because the whole year we've been asking the same question: to know. How do I know? Okay, I've learned about Christ and I've learned a bunch of facts about Christ. But each time we do this, we ask, do you know Christ? I'm asking, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Not just know about Him, but know Him. But I'm going to switch up the question. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, now that you've come to know God, wait, he says, or rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He's talking to a church that was kind of in this state of having difficulty with faithfulness. But he asks a question and then he rephrases it. Because we've asked that question, now that you've come to know God, how do you know God? How do you know God? And he he says, let me amend that statement. He says, rather, having been known by God. And that is the question, does God know me? It's not really important whether I know God. After 52 sermons on the theme, I've been asking really the wrong question the whole year. The question is, does God know me? As someone said, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Oh yeah, I, I know a guy. Uh, yeah. Does he know you? <laughs> That's the real question. When I go home, I can, I can assume that I know God. And that I've gotten closer to this through all these 50 sermons or whatever. That, that I, I know a lot about God and, I, and I've, I've developed this relationship. That's not the question. Have you done what it takes for God to say on the day when he is the last word on that day when Christ delivers the last word and when he puts everything in place and when, when, when all that virus is over and all those things that we're so excited for will God say I know you enter into my rest have you done what it takes for Christ to make that 
his last words.